All right, we're going to turn our attention to the Gospel of Mark now. So if you have a Bible, open to Mark chapter 14. If you have a Red Pew Bible, we're going to be on page 850. And this morning we're looking at verses 10 through 21. So Mark 14, 10 through 21. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready, there prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they begin to be sorrowful and say to him, one, say to him one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for uh, this gathering together where we can um, look at your word, where we can worship you, where we can fellowship with one another. We recognize all the um, hardships that people are going through uh, today, even just within our walls here of our church, uh, just the things that people are going through in relationships, in um, jobs and addictions and, and various things, and we want to lift those things up to you, asking you to equip us to, to best love uh, the people in our community. And God, um, the things that are happening around our world, we, we recognize uh, that we have an opportunity to be uh, representatives of you there as well, and so God, would you uh, bless, bless every effort that is made towards that end, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we are we're back in our Mark series, and um, uh, we took a little break from that, going through Psalms as Pastor Steve was sharing through that. And, and now, as we come back to our Mark series, we'll, we'll be in chapter 14 for a few weeks before we go into our Advent series. Um, just to give you a heads up, if you guys would just uh, recall, if you can't recall, you can read it for yourselves. But the verses preceding this section of scripture, we we find a woman who is really devoted to following Jesus. With, with all of her heart. And this morning, we're going to contrast that devotion with a man, Judas, who is very reluctant to follow Jesus, and he proves to be quite wicked. Verse 9 tells us this about the woman. <clears throat> and truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her, that she will always be positively remembered wherever the gospel is proclaimed, and, and Judas will forever be remembered for his betrayal. 
Now, both of these events lead us to the cross, and she anointed Jesus before his death, and here we have this betrayal leading to Jesus' death. Such evil from Judas, but we know that God is in control even when this wickedness is happening around them, around us. That the sovereignty of God is is really a, a mysterious thing. That such evil things can happen even when God is in control, which is really challenging to understand that these eternal plans of God are being worked out in our time and the things that have happened or are happening or will happen sometimes are just really, really mysterious. Now let's jump to verse 21, the last verse we're going to look at today. Just as a background before we enter this story, and it reads, For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. So we have the eternal plans of God. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed, that that mysterious evil that happens even when God is in control of all things. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. So we have the the providence of God even when these terrible things happen and Judas decided to do what he did yet God is still in control and the eternal plans of God are are being fulfilled. Let's jump into uh, our text this morning, verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray them. Now this happened right after this woman's generous gesture. You know, she poured this... uh, alabaster flask of pure nard, and John recorded this for us in his gospel, John chapter 12, starting in verse 4. But Judas Iscariot, one of his 12 disciples, he he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So we see here that Judas was upset because the money didn't make its way to him. And he was jealous. He was this covetous thief who, who wanted that money, which equated to about a year's wages for himself. And that seems to be the straw that broke the camel's back for Judas. It seemed to set him off. And this, this timeline of Judas's behavior was recorded in verse 10. And, and it says, that then Judas went to the chief priest to betray Jesus. It's kind of like the thing that set him off. Verse 11, and when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, uh, back into Mark 14, and he sought opportunity to betray him. And so Matthew's uh, recording of this gospel account is in Matthew 26. It starts in verse 14, and it reads, Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him thirty pieces of silver. Thirty pieces of silver. Which equates to about one-third of what the lady gave in that alabaster flask of nard. And and so I, I, I can't help but wonder if that's the deal that Judas negotiated because that's probably the amount that he was going to take from the money bag. Maybe he was thinking, you know, I lost that amount of money, so that's what I want. Who knows? Just my evil brain thinking. But here's something about money. Here's something about money. Money is a very, very telling gauge of where we stand with God. Very telling. 
It, it clearly shows where your heart is, and there are so many examples of how money and this evil wickedness, they, they go hand in hand. So many people have sold their souls out for money over God, just like Judas. And there are numerous examples of how money reveals who we really are. I'll show you a few of them in the Bible. You recall Joseph in Genesis. Joseph was sold to the Ishmaelites as a slave by his brothers for 20 shekels of silver in Genesis 37. And you jump to the book of Judges and we see Delilah and Samson. Delilah sold Samson out to the Philistines for 1,100 pieces of silver in Judges chapter 16. You go into the book of 2 Kings and you run into Gehazi. Gehazi went against Elisha by accepting two talents of silver bags in 2 Kings chapter 5. And then we look at Ananias and Sapphira, Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5 who lied to the Holy Spirit about the proceeds, about selling their property and how much they, they gave. And so we see all these examples of where money clearly shows our character, whether we have a lot of it or not enough of it. And it is what enslaves a lot of people today, especially here in the Bay Area. A lot. We live in one of the most prosperous, wealthiest areas of the world, and it has become an idol. It has become something that people serve more than they serve God now, I, I briefly bring this up because of uh, what was shared earlier today with Puerto Rico and Santa Rosa in that here's a very, very tangible opportunity to show our character in blessing the people of Puerto Rico and Santa Rosa, a really practical way for us to do that. We, we're not placing more value on those people over the many things that have happened in our country, in our world, you know, the earthquake in Mexico, the... the Tragedy in Las Vegas, what's happened in Houston and Florida, we're not placing any type of importance on that. It's the reason why we've chosen those two is when in our community I've reached out to people who have families in Houston or Florida and we just haven't received uh, kind of the same amount of um, need that was expressed from those particular people in our community and that's why. But if, if you do have those needs, please come share with us. We're, we're not holding back anything from other places. So please share those needs if you have them. But back to our, our text here. Judas couldn't stand that this perfume, this year's worth of wages, was used to pour over Jesus because he couldn't get any of it. It was broken and poured over Jesus, and, and that was all of it. And that event between Jesus and that woman seemed to be what drove Jesus, uh, Judas to betray Jesus with these religious leaders. Judas, Judas was going to get some of that money one way or another from what he saw as a lost opportunity. Now those religious guys wanted to, do, to, to, to kill Jesus even though they didn't know how they were going to do it. They wanted to get rid of Jesus until, and it wasn't until one of Jesus' very own showed up that they kind of got this idea of how they were going to do that. And Judas must have known that he would have been paid to sell Jesus out. It's, and here's this thing about organizations, churches, that I kind of find more universally true, even within families. It's, it's actually from within where the greatest evil resides, 
from within an organization, from within a family, where the betrayal is just the, the most hurtful. And oftentimes as a church, we're so worried about the things on the outside, about things out there are so wicked and they're so evil and they're going to come in and affect us. But I think what we really have to be careful about is from the inside and being really careful there because we've already established a trust on the inside and, and that stuff is, is the real poisonous stuff. Sometimes we get fooled inside the church because we can get caught up into people's giftedness or their abilities, but God is so much more concerned about obedience than he is with giftedness. Judas seemed to be the most gifted out of this bunch, but he's not obedient. He was blinded by money, and he used his own sign of friendship, a, a kiss, a very intimate way to, to, to identify and betray Jesus. And here's the thing about Judas. I don't think he just woke up one morning and he thought, you know what? I'm going to betray Jesus. Today's the day. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I think we have to realize that the path towards something like betrayal or something bigger like this starts a lot earlier. That there are decisions after decisions to go down a path of wickedness. It just doesn't happen on one day. And it's, it's, it's just like us, right? Let, let's just use an example of a person who commits what we deem as really evil or really wicked going down this path of poor decisions before this larger evil or this wickedness happens. And we can use any type of example. But what choices do we have in front of us right now? And maybe right now, those choices seem small. And it's small now. And the thing is, if it's small now, this is the best time to change. It's the best time to repent because those smaller compromising choices become bigger compromises as the smaller ones get just easier and easier to make. And after a while, we're enslaved to those compromises and we concede to them. You know, I'm, I'm in my 17th year of pastoral ministry and here's a, here's a sad fact. I, I've never met a man who committed adultery or who takes part in sex trafficking, or, or some large sexual immorality issue. I've never met someone who didn't first struggle with porn. I, I've never met them. Whether directly or I've heard of them, any huge sexual immoral, immorality thing that happens later on down the line, I can usually trace it back to porn. It starts small. It started smaller. You see, it actually goes deeper than that, though, because it's really about the heart. Our hearts are postured for wickedness before any actual wicked action takes place. Let me give you an example. There is lust before someone looks at porn, right? There is bitterness before there is a violent assault on somebody or resentment, or there's something within before that happens. There's covetousness in one's heart before they steal. So we see that there's this heart issue going on before even the small things are happening to blow up into this bigger thing. And we're given deliverance from that wicked heart through repentance, re repenting uh, to Jesus, changing our posture toward Jesus. 
Now, remorse is different than repentance. It's not the same. And just because you're at the church and you're hearing things and you're being convicted of things does not mean you've changed, does not mean you've repented. Sometimes it's hard to tell if someone has repented. Sometimes it's hard to tell if someone is obedient to Jesus. Judas really fooled the other 11. They, they, they didn't know who was going to betray Jesus. And it's the heart of Je Judas that led him to this day of betrayal, this, this heart of covetousness, this heart of jealousy, that over time, after doing the smaller things, whatever he did before stealing from the money bag, and he's just stealing from the money bag and in, in, in through these three years, to lead to this betrayal of Jesus. The scriptures in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 7, it's written, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. You see that there's a time you are able to hear God. And you willingly, at that point, won't open your heart to God. But here's something that happens over time that that conditioning of your heart when you have the opportunity to soften your heart continues to be hardened. And after the hardening, there may come a time where you can't open your heart to God anymore. So it moves to where you won't open your heart to you can't do it anymore. And it, and it changes from something that was once possible to now something that is not possible for you anymore. Changing one's behavior isn't nearly as difficult as changing one's heart. If someone's heart changes, that, that behavior follows. But when someone's behavior changes without changing their heart, you often find that they go back to the very thing that they were seeking to change. Verse 12. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? Now, the Passover has been celebrated for over 1,500 years by the time it's mentioned here in verse 12. So over, over 3,500 years, this meal, the celebration has been, has been celebrated. Every Passover has a Passover lamb. And in the book of Exodus, the blood of the Passover lamb spared the lives of those uh, inside the homes where the blood of the lamb was put on the lintel and the doorposts uh, of their homes. That death passed over that home and the lives inside were saved. The, the Passover points to Jesus, the lamb of God, and Jesus made arrangements to have this feast with his disciples. Now, keep in mind, Jesus had this bounty on his head and there's this effort for him not to get arrested prematurely. And so it seems like Jesus planned this just like the donkey before the triumphant entry about meeting the guy, whatever. This, this seems to be the same thing that's happening here. Verse 13. And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you the, a large upper room furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Now you notice that, that not all the tasks from Jesus seem like very huge tasks, but they're all really significant. 
you know, this little task. Find a man carrying a jar of water. Huge, right? Like, that's a, that's a big deal. No, I mean, this, that seems so not life-changing. That doesn't seem like this nice, worthy calling where, like, Jesus calls you to some big thing. Like, find a man who's carrying a jar of water. That's my, that's my mission. All right, I'm going to do that. But it's really significant, actually. See, I think some, some, some of us who are doing, like, the smaller things that Jesus has called us to, how are we evaluating the things that, G, that God calls us to? Do we think that what we're doing is insignificant when actually it is really significant? Because there is no Passover without this simple task being faithfully carried out. And, and, and without this Passover, we don't have Jesus' explanation of what the Passover means and what the sacrament of communion means. See, whatever Jesus calls us to, it's that very calling that is the significant thing, no matter how people define that. But whatever that calling is, is the significant thing. It, it's all about obedience. It's not about a size of the task. And just because someone seems to be really close to Jesus, it doesn't mean that they're actually obedient to him. Judas was one of those who were really close to Jesus, but, but he betrayed Jesus for not all that much money. And it's dangerous to think that it couldn't possibly be me when in, actual, in actuality it very well may be. If we think we won't turn our back to Jesus, we really need to take a closer look at who we are. We really need to check our hearts in regards to money, to check our hearts about who we really are and what evil we're really capable of doing. Let's look at verse 17. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Again, it's not obvious who the betrayer is. And this is actually a really healthy place to be, to, to be humble and to be open and to question oneself, to, to reflect upon one's self. And here the disciples really needed to do this because they've been arguing about who's the greatest. So this was actually a really great exercise for them to do. Verse 19, they began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, is it I? Honesty. Honesty will, will have us ask, is it I? And I think Judas here is playing along, like, oh, is it I? Knowing that, yeah, it's you. But he's lying through this. And all of these guys had this relationship with Jesus, but Ju Jesus wasn't Judas's Lord. Verse 20, he said to them, it is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. Now, they still don't know who it is. The rest of the guys still don't know who it is. And this dip that they were dipping uh, their bread into their pita or whatever, falafel or whatever it was, that was a bitter, bitter dip. Um, and that served as a reminder of the bitterness that they experienced in Egypt when they were enslaved. And here Jesus is going to experience this Bitterness, And here's this picture of this happening. Now, one of the sad things about this whole event was that the disciples didn't take this as a serious opportunity of growth, of self-reflection. Now, how do we know this? Because in Luke's gospel account, right after Jesus pointed out that someone's going to betray him, 
In Luke chapter 22, verses 21 through 23, um, is, is the recording of what happened here, just like what happened in Mark. But here's what is said in Luke 22, verse 24, after all this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Like, they just went right back into that. Like they, so that sorrow that they felt, that, that question of, oh, is it I? It is so short-lived, and it's so like us. Right? You, you feel like some conviction because uh, you read something or you hear something or somebody talks to you or your worship song and you're like, oh, God, and you ask, the, you ask great questions like, is it me? Like, is it I? Like, and then you just go back out and you're right back to whatever you're doing again. Right? It, it, it's so short-lived. They're already fighting about who was the greatest and it's such a lost opportunity to dig deeper about where they really stood with God just like us. We have these opportunities that we're just passing by when we can actually dig so much deeper with God. We, we feel sorrow for something that has been revealed to us, something that we've done, something that we've thought, something that's happened, and we even ask those really great questions like, man, is it I? And then we lose that opportunity to dig deeper by just going back to the things that preoccupy us. This is partly why we pause for this self-examination prior to communion every week. It's part of that spiritual discipline that we exercise every week. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 26 through 29, the Apostle Paul wrote, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Every week, we encourage this self-examination before God to hopefully dig deeper, not just to feel sorrow, not just to ask great questions, but to actually change, to see where we really are with God. And the Apostle Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? See, just because we're at church, it doesn't mean that we're right with God. We need to test ourselves. We need to ask ourselves, is it I, when questioning a sincere relationship with Jesus? Now back to Mark chapter 14, our last verse for this morning. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Jesus is what we deem as a, a nominal Christian. Right, here's a definition of that. And sure, he was, he was one of the 12. He was with Jesus for three years. He witnessed everything that Jesus had done, but he wasn't completely connected to Jesus. He was still kind of on the outside. And it's not because Jesus didn't want him there, but because he, he wanted to stay out there. And it's kind of bizarre because Judas experienced all those miracles. You know, the calming of the sea, he was in that boat. The raising of the dead of that kid in Nain, he was there. 
the, the exercising of demons. He was all there for all that stuff. He was there for everything, and, and he heard all of the same awesome teachings. The Sermon on the Mount, he was there. He had everything that the other disciples had, but he was still this outsider and not a person of faith. And this can be some people here this morning. There are a lot of Christian things that you do, like coming here or attending a small group or giving of offerings and supporting great causes. But you're still not a person of faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, you're still outside of the kingdom of God. You're outside of Jesus Christ. And this is what the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, it, it is not enough to know about the gospel. It is not enough to believe in God just intellectually. That gospel has to be inside of us. We have to live that out as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. See, hanging out Sunday after Sunday, it doesn't make it happen. And don't get me wrong, we're, we're so glad you're here. I am personally so glad that you're here, but being here does not reconcile you to God. That's Judas. He's hanging out with Jesus 24-7 for three years. He's still not one of the disciples that will be with him in eternity. Hanging out with him for three years solid and still not reconciled to him. God, who is sovereign, is in control of saving all who want salvation. And even though God is sovereign and he's in control, it doesn't mean that we don't exercise our own free will. Judas wasn't just some pawn in God's eternal plan. He chose to betray Jesus. And he's accountable for his actions. We are responsible for our own actions for what we do, for what we think, all those things. Evil things that are happening in the world don't originate from God. See, God, God works his purposes out even with people's rebellion towards him. And Judas opened the door to Satan. He invited him. It wasn't that Satan forced his way into Judas's life. Jesus knew this about Judas, just as God knew about how the Israelites would be rebellious towards him. And, and why God receives people who don't want his lordship, it goes back to this idea of mystery to me. Like, I, I can't figure it out. I, I don't get it. Now, some things we know and some things we just don't know. And here's the thing about mystery. It, it's so necessary. Because without mystery, there is no potential for faith. We don't come to faith in God because we know everything about God. We come by his revelation, which is also mysterious. We don't have answers to everything. 
There's mystery in our world, and it's a reality of our world. One can't come to faith without recognizing that there is some sort of mystery about God. Look at Deuteronomy 29, verse 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So whether it's mysterious or it's revealed, we have enough We have enough to know that all we need to do is live according to the will of God, to what is revealed to us. I want to end um, this morning with just the latter part of verse 21 and then with a scripture reading. And it reads this. It's kind of a very disturbing sentence, actually. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. See, this is the reality of hell. This is telling us the reality of an eternal separation from God. That there is a reality of the cross of Jesus Christ that reconciles us to God. And that eternal separation from God, which is hell, is not what God wants. And if anyone is eternally separated from God, it's not because God didn't want them in his kingdom. He does. And I just want to end with John chapter 3, starting in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Let's pray. Lord, A very solemn reminder of the eternal story that is unfolding before us and in our present time. And I ask God for for those who hear your voice today that they wouldn't harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Knowing God that as those denials continue to happen, it will change from where a person won't accept you to where they can't. And so God asked for that miraculous revelation of yours, for that mysterious revelation of yours to happen. In Jesus' name, amen.